evening I'd like to talk about spaciousness. And spaciousness is a word I use a number of times, yet I continue to see people searching their dictionaries for what it means. It's an important ingredient in this practice. Essentially what we are trying to do in this practice to become familiar inwardly and outwardly with what it actually feels like to be spacious, what it feels like to have a consciousness that is not contracted, what it feels like to have a consciousness that is not endlessly being conditioned either by the thoughts and the images and the feelings that arise within ourselves nor being endlessly conditioned and molded by the impressions and the influences that we receive from without ourselves. We're learning how to be spacious, which is learning how to be present in this moment in a relationship that is open, that is sensitive, and that is balanced. Firstly, it's important to distinguish between spaciousness and spaciness. Hmm? Now, sometimes people think they are being very spacious because they are just letting things flow through them. You know that there are lots of thoughts arising, but they're not really getting too bothered by them. You know, they're just coming and going and wandering in and out. And sometimes that sense, you know, it's not terribly unpleasant. Actually, time can fly by with a wandering mind. But it doesn't really have any quality of clear comprehension. You know, you come to an end of a sitting, and if you were to be asked, well, really, what happened in that sitting? You wouldn't have the vaguest idea. And sometimes that kind of uh, spaciousness is then interpreted as being a kind of um, a non-interfering relationship with the thoughts, not actually responding to them in any way, having some level of trust that one doesn't actually need to respond I remember once on a retreat, a woman was speaking to me and she said, yes, there's a lot of thoughts. In fact, there's thoughts all the time. There doesn't really seem to be any break between the thoughts. But I know it really doesn't work to try and pay attention to them. So what I'm going to do is just let myself think. Because there has to be a point when the thoughts come to an end. Well, lo and behold, ten days later, I asked her how it was going with emptying out the thought process. She was very surprised to say, well, you know, it really never does come to an end. (laughs) That the mind has this endless capacity to produce thought. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that when we come and we sit together and when we come and sit alone with ourselves, that on one level it seems a very simple thing to do. It seems a very easy thing to do. And yet, on another level, it is one of the most challenging things we can do in regards to the sense of I. You know, when you leave behind your props, 
and your identities and your busyness and all the ways by which we know who we are in the world. And we just sit alone with ourselves. It is extraordinarily challenging to the sense of self that we carry or that we are accustomed to hiding in. And because of that challenge, one of the things or one of the responses the I notion has or the I sense has is to produce things to be busy with. Now, obviously, you know, you get tired of looking at the notice board <coughs> and you get, you know, tired of kind of reading the tape titles. And yet we always have this wonderful phenomenon we can rely upon. We can distract ourselves with thought. We can be busy, endlessly constructing, and endlessly engaged in the thought patterns that we do construct. And yet in that busyness, a number of things we tend to be disconnected from. We tend to be disconnected in that busyness from a sense of ease in the present moment. We tend also to be disconnected from any authentic quality of silence. And there's often a kind of frantic feeling to the busyness, almost a desperate feeling, that you know the mind must continue to move. And we feel the effects of it because we feel the mind becomes tired. It becomes exhausted. And yet then it reverts or it switches from the busyness then into a level of dullness. Spaciousness doesn't really have anything to do at all with that spaciness of just wandering around endlessly in a mental climate of constructions and concepts and images. Spaciousness can be in the midst of thought. Spaciousness can also be in the absence of thought. Our sense of spaciousness can be in the midst of movement and it can be very present in a real sense of stillness. It is a quality which is not easy to find. Certainly it's a quality that's not easy to find in our lives, nor is it easy to find within ourselves. We live in a culture that tends to bombard us with impressions. There is always something entering the sense doors. And sometimes it's chosen, that degree of sense impressions we absorb. Often it's imposed upon us. We live in a world where there's an enormous amount of noise. At times people come to Gaia House and they can't sleep because it's too quiet. And they don't know what to do with quietness. They don't know what to do anymore in the absence of our input and bombardment. We not only have to deal with this outer world of excess sense impression. But inwardly, too, we have an inner climate which, through time and through conditioning, finds itself fixed in a pattern of busyness. Inwardly, at times, we feel we might choose the activity that is taking place in our minds, and yet often we feel that we don't. Often we do feel that the activity that we're experiencing in our minds is simply imposed upon us. That we seem to be powerless before, that it seems that we have no choice. We find our reactions arising seemingly without reason at times. We see the nonsensical preoccupations our minds engage in. 
we see the endless distractedness that can seem to take place and we do become accustomed to that busyness it becomes normal for us even to the point where inner stillness where the absence of movement or the absence of distractedness is felt to be an uncomfortable or an alien experience there are many reasons for this busyness this contractedness of consciousness that we experience many of those reasons have been beyond our control beyond our choice certainly as children in our very early years we grow up being fed enormous amount of expectations of how we should be what we should become how we should present ourselves we have presented again and again in our lives this encouragement to reach outside of ourselves to something else in order to find the things that are presented as being worthwhile and valuable we are encouraged again and again in our lives to pursue becoming to become someone we are encouraged again and again in our lives to pursue to pursue gain and achievement we are encouraged again and again to absorb the values that having and gaining and achieving make us something of a success in our lives all of those values and all of those pressures do indeed for us create a certain competitiveness in relationship to life they create a certain amount of pressure and a certain amount of tension which in time become our almost ever present companions and we learn at times the rules of these games very well how to become how to achieve how to gain how to have this and that and yet there are some very important lessons that tend to be left out of our upbringing of our coming to maturity very little emphasis is given on knowing how to be at peace with ourselves very little emphasis is given to knowing how to be still how to be comfortable in aloneness how to be comfortable in simplicity very little significance is given to learning to have a truly sensitive relationship to each moment there comes a point when we find that these lessons are important to us because we find that we live again and again with the effects of becoming with the effects of inner alienation and disconnection and those effects manifest themselves so clearly in our lives when we find ourselves living with suspiciousness or distance or disconnection from the world around us when we find that we don't know how to listen inwardly when we find that our bodies start taking on the stresses of our minds and start breaking down in ways that we don't even understand and we realize that there needs to be some change and sometimes that realization is that it takes on a very urgent form sometimes we feel well i just need to get away from it all i just need to get away now that is a kind of feeling which motivates or has motivated in the past many of us to hop on planes to the east 
You know, that feeling that I need to get away from it all, and if I can get away from it all, I will discover what is important to me. I will discover this peace, and I will discover this silence. And yet, as anyone who has been to the East can clearly tell, one can have as much busyness and distractedness sitting in a cave in the Himalayas as you can have sitting on an underground train in London. And we do realize at times then that our mind is, of course, our constant companion and all that our minds hold. And if our minds are chattering and preoccupied with past and with future, if our minds have gotten into a rut of obsession and dwelling, then they become very heavy companions no matter where we are. And then we also realize that outer change, although it may be totally valid and relevant at many times in our lives, that outer change alone is not sufficient, is not enough in itself to bring about the quality of peace, the quality of stillness, and the quality of connectedness that we feel is important that we're seeking for. It is that lack of spaciousness that feeling of pressure that does bring many people to meditation, the feeling that it's no longer tolerable to live in a way where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel disconnected. And yet, when we stop, we add, that is the point that we actually discover how much momentum and how much power our minds actually have and how little control we seem to have. You know, I'm sure everyone sits down in the beginning of a meditation with a sincere desire to be still and attentive and calm, and yet you say to your mind, be still and attentive and calm, and your mind chatters and wanders and is preoccupied. And we realize how habitual, how very conditioned this tendency is. As you sit on your zafu and you have one long, endless conversation with yourself, You wonder and you appreciate that as your sensitivity grows, just how very intolerable, how very intolerable this disconnection, how very intolerable this busyness and lack of spaciousness is. It is actually intolerable to our consciousness. It creates imbalances which affect so many layers and levels of our lives. You know, they, they do these experiments, you know, where they put animals together in very crowded spaces and they bombard them with sound and with impressions to discover, which they didn't need to do the experiments for anyway, that the animals become either extremely enraged or they become catatonic. Totally unnecessary. We see it in our own lives how edgy we can become, how easily triggered, how easily reactive we can become. And in that, we become aware of the urgency that there is in finding inner spaciousness. That inner spaciousness is necessary to our well-being inwardly, and it is necessary in order for us to live in a relationship to all of life and to all of each moment in which we can contribute harmony, in which we can contribute peace in which we can contribute some level of serenity. 
there is an undeniable relationship between our inner world and our outer world. We are affected by the world around us, and we do affect the world around us too. When there is really no inner spaciousness, our relationship to the world around us is one where we feel so very overwhelmed, so very overpowered by all that we receive. We feel unable to accommodate the world, and therefore we can't relate. When we cannot accommodate, we disconnect, we distance, because that disconnection and that distancing what is what seems to offer us some safety, some protection, <coughs> some kind of sanctuary. But we have the same relationship to our own being. When there isn't any spaciousness, we find ourselves overwhelmed by our thoughts and by our feelings. And we become aware, you know, that although there may be much in the outer world that we can divorce ourselves from because we find it difficult or we find it challenging, we can't, there's one thing in our lives we cannot divorce ourselves from, and that is the quality of our minds and the quality of our inner life. It is impossible for us to create that level of distance and disconnection inwardly. <coughs> Spaciousness is important for sensitivity. You know, when we are disconnected, then the inner world assumes enormous proportions and enormous significance. When we are lost in our own chatter and preoccupations, everything else seems to fade into significance. You know, you find yourself walking from the house to the end of the driveway and you arrive there and realize you have no idea of what took place, of any single step in the whole movement. You realize that nature, you know, the whole world around you, the world of nature with all of its incredible beauty, just fades into the background of our chatter, of our own mental chatter. And we realize that in that disconnection, how our sensitivity is so very effective, affected, that we can't listen outwardly to others. We can't find it difficult to listen to nature we find it difficult to listen to other people. You know how many times we've had that experience of being in a conversation with someone and we're hardly listening. Or we're listening only as a kind of springboard for what we want to say. You know that our listening is constantly interrupted by our own desire to um, impose our own chatter upon our conversations. And yet, we experience that same lack or inability to listen inwardly to ourselves. We become unreceptive to the messages of our bodies, to the messages of our thoughts, to the messages of our feelings, and therefore we can't learn from our stories. And this is a very fundamental level of disconnection which is so important to see because our stories are actually our greatest teacher. If we can listen to our lives, if we can listen to our stories, we have an endless, or a, a rich, rich teacher available to us. If we can truly listen inwardly, we know what grieves us, we know what saddens us, we know what disconnects us, we know what causes us pain. If we can truly listen inwardly and listen to the stories of our lives, we know, too, what connects us, what brings us joy, what brings oneness, what brings serenity. These lessons are found primarily within our lives, primarily within our stories. 
And yet, how many times we have found ourselves repeating endlessly the same conflicts, or searching fruitlessly for the happiness or the peace that seems elusive, because somehow we are not learning from our own stories. We are not learning or don't know deeply enough really how to listen inwardly. Finding spaciousness is a journey, it's an exploration, it's a path of inquiry. It is an exploration, not only of the past. It's really an exploration of each moment. How do we find spaciousness in this moment? That capacity to listen, that capacity to be receptive, that capacity to be truly connected with our inner experience, with our outer experience. Part of that inquiry involves seeing really what is it in this moment that clutters up our space, our inner space. What is it that we are preoccupied with? What is it that we are dwelling upon? In meditation, this tends to be revealed to us quite quickly. We see those things that we don't seem to be able to let go of. That feeling of, I can't let go of something. That repetitiveness. The things that we find ourselves dwelling upon. Sometimes it's that dwelling is habitual. You know, we become just used to being preoccupied. And so even when there is nothing to be preoccupied with, we look for something to be preoccupied with. But more that <coughs> the level of dwelling <coughs> involves areas where there is not clear understanding. There's not the understanding. For some people, they find themselves at the area that they were particularly preoccupied with, where they are particularly dwelling, primarily areas of the past for different reasons. Experiences, memories that are unresolved that we cannot accept. Experiences that are unresolved and so carried into the present moment experiences that are unresolved and so therefore impose themselves upon the present moment. And so often then the memories and the inner dialogues feature if only. If only this hadn't happened. If only this had happened. And how often then the mind re returns again and again to those areas feeling unable to let go. At those moments, those feelings of being unable to let go, it is not enough to say to oneself, well, I must let go of this. You know, I have to let go of this. More, it is important to understand why we are holding on to something. Why it is that we hold on to something. What it is that we seek for, what it is that we are looking for, that we so far haven't been able to find, that continues to bind us to memories, to images, to experiences in a way which feels charged with feeling and with emotion. For some people it is not so much the past, but it is the present, the, their relationship to the present moment that becomes an area of preoccupation. Again, areas that are dwelt upon for d many different reasons. Demands for perfection is one of the primary ones the demands for conformity to expectation in the present moment is one of the primary causes of dwelling and preoccupation. The number of times we use the word should 
clearly signals the degree to which we are holding on to our expectations and demands of this moment. There are many things that that should gets involved in. Things that we want that we don't have. It might be mind states, it might be meditation experiences, it might be states of comfort, whatever. If we want them, we don't have them, we refuse to connect with the present moment, we find ourselves dwelling. There are things that we want to get rid of in the present moment because they don't conform to our expectations, because we find them unpleasant or difficult, we feel they shouldn't be happening. Again, it becomes an area of dwelling and an area of preoccupation. How to get rid of them, all the strategies we can use, all the kind of formulas we can bring in, in order to make this moment conform to our model of perfection of what should be happening. We become preoccupied with our thoughts, with our judgments, with what we need, with what we want to get rid of. And it's so important to see the impact that our expectations do have, uh, how much our expectations are tied up with our images of perfection in this moment. You know, there's this story about an English gardener. You probably realize by now that the English people take their gardening very seriously indeed. And there's a story about this English man who desired to have the perfect lawn. So he went out and he leveled it and he raked it and he seeded it and he waited impatiently day after day for the grass to grow. And finally the grass grew and it was just perfect. It was just the right color and just the right thickness. And he would sit each day at his window watching this grass grow and watching this lawn come to the state of perfection. He had a neighbor who had a messy lawn. And all the dandelion seeds used to fly over onto his lawn. And his perfect lawn got these dandelions. Well, this became a major obsession. You know, and he would read about how to get rid of dandelions. And each morning he would get up with his trowel in hand, ready to go out and dig out the offending dandelion as soon as it showed itself. And it became an absolute terrible obsession. You know, he fought with his neighbors. He fought with his dandelions. And he was getting up tighter and more uptight. And finally, in the end, these dandelions kept coming back. And finally, he wrote to the Department of Agriculture. And he said, I've tried this, and I've tried this. And he wrote all the things he'd tried in order to have this perfect lawn. And he says, and still I have dandelions. What can I do to get rid of the dandelions? And the Department of Agriculture wrote back, and they said, we suggest that you learn to love them. <laughs> Similarly, you know, with our, it is so much like our practice, you know, we have this demand for perfection. Not seeing that perfection is not in a state and is not in a model and is not in an image. Perfection is in our harmony with the suchness of what is. That is the only place that we ever find perfection. That state of really totally being in harmony with the total suchness of what is in each moment. The more dissatisfied we are with the present moment, that is the extent to which we find our minds going to either past or future. And we see that in the meditation. When we are truly in harmony with this moment, we can accommodate whatever arises. 
there is that sense of spaciousness around the pleasant, around the unpleasant. As soon as we get into the models of resistance or the models of striving, that is when our attention begins to move in that moment to either past or to future. And future, you know, when we, we are not so preoccupied with the past, the future can become very attractive because the future holds promise. It holds promises for us. What we aren't able to achieve in this moment, we can live in hope. You know, that perhaps the next moment, the next sitting, the next day, the next week, the next retreat, is almost like a blank check that we can write our fantasies upon. To be aware that this process of preoccupation and this process of dwelling is actually a process. It's not something that is imposed upon us. It's not something that arises ready-made. It is a process that has a beginning and it moves through a particular form of construction. You can see how often that dwelling and that preoccupation in which we lose spaciousness begins with a single thought or a single impression. You know, we have so many examples of this. You know, that you come into meditation, you know, and perhaps, you know, your, your mind is wandering in the beginning. And how the thought then arises, you know, that, oh, you know, it's a terrible sitting. You know? How that first that thought, that first label, has the capacity to evoke certain associations, feelings, usually, you know, depression arises, you know, it's a terrible sitting, and then all the associations come in, hmm, of all the terrible ones you've had in the past, and probably all the terrible <laughs> ones you're going to have in the future, you know, and the how then, you know, those associations come in, there's a certain level of clinging that takes place to that. You soon find yourself that the consciousness begins to contract. You can almost feel it happening as a physical feeling. It is like when you sit before lunch, you know, and you smell something from the dining room. You know, how the single smell begins that process of contraction, you know, until the mind is in a state of desperate craving and obsessing about what's going to arrive on the plate, you know. Rarely does it meet up to one's expectations, you know. But how that process of contraction is actually a process that begins with thought, with association, with feeling, with identification, until you come to that process of contraction, that point of contraction. And as you feel your consciousness shrink, so does everything else recede in significance. Everything else seems to fade away. It becomes a background until basically you have a kind of obsessiveness of mind which is only featuring one story and kind of one line. It is important to see that you can step out of that process. And there's no bound to that process. We are not bound to end up in contractedness. We are not bound to identification. You know, we are not bound to dwelling. We are certainly not bound to preoccupation. At times we find it difficult to let go because we find a certain security and a certain safety in that dwelling and clinging and identification because it gives us a measure of identity, but we are not bound <coughs> to it. It is really important to appreciate that the clearer we develop our attention, the clearer our attention grows, 
So we can bring that attention to focus upon that process, upon what we dwell upon, to really acknowledge that we do not have to be a victim of our minds. That's one of the most important insights that can happen in meditation and happen in our lives. We have qualities of sensitivity. We have qualities of attentiveness. We have qualities of serenity. Learning how to create space. Learning how to create space. Sometimes it means very consciously stepping out of the contraction, if you can recognize it. Finding what we can actually connect with. What is there that we can actually connect with? When you find yourself in the midst of a heavy mind state, a heavy obsession, what is there that is not involved with that obsession that you can actually connect with on a level of actuality rather than thought and projection? Whether it is listening, whether it is seeing, whether it is touching, to learn to develop that quality of receptivity, to actually not feel that you have to work out the obsession, but to actually learn that we can <coughs> simply step outside of it. And as we step outside of it, as we learn to utilize those channels, we also find that we can develop spaciousness. Part of the spaciousness, too, does mean developing a quality of open-heartedness and compassion towards ourselves as we develop them towards others. We can see, too, how upon our preoccupations we then do the kind of hardship to ourselves of superimposing judgment upon it. You know that we first really become preoccupied, and then as if that is not enough, we come along and tell ourselves what a terrible meditator and what a terrible person we are for becoming preoccupied and obsessed and dwelling. Hmm? To really be aware that at times, you know, discipline is something that has a very kind of negative association. But there is a quality of discipline in this practice that is born of interest and commitment and dedication to peace and to serenity. And sometimes that discipline, that quality of discipline doesn't involve any control and it doesn't involve any suppression or any forcing. Sometimes it can manifest itself in just the capacity to cut thought and to knowing when it is skillful to do that. You know, if you really see that your thoughts are just feeding into some kind of negative pattern, which is truly undermining to yourself, truly destructive, there is a real skillfulness in knowing how to cut thought. Because there are many tendencies that we have, and one of the tendencies that tends to be more unfortunate that we encounter is this tendency to construct things, to construct great mountains out of nothing, great dramas out of a single impression. And it's easier to see in relationship to others, you know, and we find, again, so many examples in a retreat. The most wonderful one, and I'm not speaking personally about anyone, is, you know, when is the sniff in the meditation room? You know, just take that as an example. You know, how you come into the meditation room, you feel relatively calm and balanced and happy, and you sit down. And the person beside you, unfortunately, has a cold. You know, so you sit there, you know, minding your breath, very mindful, very happy, and you hear, you know, and think, all right, it's all right, once, you know. And then you, you know, and you, know, you feel a little bit of irritation, you know. And pretty soon you're sitting there and you're waiting for it. <laughs> you're waiting for the next sniff. And you're right on top of it, and as soon as it comes, I knew it. <laughs> I knew they were going to do it. And the mind is getting more and more tense. And you create such a villain 
out of this party. Now, they must be doing it on purpose. You know, haven't they ever heard of tissues, you know? They could blow their nose before they come in here. And the mind gets into this terrible state of tension and denial and rejection. And we lose, in the loss of spaciousness, of course, we also lose totally any quality of open-heartedness and compassion. That poor person sitting there suffering, doing their best to watch their breath with this terrible cold and having the courage to show up at every sitting and keep trying. And there we are, you know, we've got them cast into the role of this terrible villain, you know, that we're, we have this enormous rage towards. But we do that towards ourselves, too, you know. We manage to get on top of our experience. And then, you know, the next time a thought appears, you know, we're right on top of it, you know, with, you know, I thought I'd figured that out. You know, I've got the, you know, how dare this thought appear in my consciousness, huh? And again, we lose that sense of open-heartedness and compassion towards ourselves. And it is so important to recognize that spaciousness is that quality of softness, that clarity gentleness yet firmness, that we can bring that clarity to ourselves yet in a very open-hearted way, in a very open-hearted way that is free of rejection and is free of denial, and how much that softness and that sensitivity and open-heartedness contributes, deeply contributes to creating that sense of spaciousness within ourselves. Perhaps, too, when something that is really important in developing this quality of spaciousness is consciously cultivating the capacity to begin anew in each moment. You know, it doesn't matter if you've spent 15 minutes spacing out. It doesn't matter if you've spent 15 minutes kind of obsessing and dwelling. It doesn't matter if you've spent, you know, 10 minutes kind of projecting all your negativity onto somebody else. The moment that you're aware of it, you have certain options. You can either pursue the option of judgment, of negation, of rejection, or one can very consciously in that moment simply start anew. And we have that possibility in each moment, in a sitting, in a walking, in a retreat in our lives. We have that capacity simply to begin anew which is a true expression of letting go. Letting things be. Just letting things be. And to begin anew in that moment, that that breath is a new breath, that that moment is a new moment, that that perception is a new perception. And beginning anew, we learn, deeply learn, how to let go. Really how to let go and how to listen in this moment cultivating a quality of receptivity, of sensitivity, of openness. We discover spaciousness within ourselves, and when we discover spaciousness within ourselves, we do find it everywhere in our lives. We do find it everywhere in each moment. May all beings live with serenity. May all beings live openness of heart. May all beings live with spaciousness.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.